tough question, and just to be honest, um, it's probably going to be hard for some of you to, to maybe admit this, but how many of you have ever re-gifted something and given it to somebody else? Now, just tell the truth, right? Um, have you ever taken something and you just said, yeah, I've taken something that somebody gave me that I didn't like and I repackaged it and gave it to somebody else. By the way, have you ever noticed that the people you do that to are the people you least like? Um, and I, I just want to make a confession. I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be more transparent as I, as I, you know, as I get older, I've got less to lose. So um, I, I'm going to be honest. I gave a guy a gift one time. It's not because I didn't like him. I really did like the guy, but he was cheap. He was just real cheap. And, and whenever he'd give, he'd give me a Christmas gift, I always knew he could do better, you know, and it, but it was just cheap. Well, somebody had given me two books, same book. They'd given me two books not long before Christmas came. And so I said, I, you know what, I'm gonna, this guy's so cheap. I'm not going to buy him a gift. I'm just going to give him one of these books. Well, the only mistake that I made was, I gave him the one that I had marked up and that I had put my name in. And I wrapped it and gave it to him, and, and I said, you know, this is one of the most valuable things that I guess I'll ever buy you, and, and I want you to really enjoy it. And, and I didn't realize what I'd done until he opened it, called me up Christmas morning and said, would you like to have your book back? I, I didn't even know that I'd done that. Well, gift-giving really is, as we know, it's one of the most time-honored Christmas traditions but now, let's all be honest. How many of us have ever unwrapped a, a present and got something that we really didn't need and we really didn't want? How many of us have lied about it? You know, so a friend comes over and brings you a, you know, a crock pot and you're a guy. And you go, oh, it's what I've always wanted. Thank you. You know, and you're wondering, what am I going to do with this? Well, um, how often do you really unwrap a present to get something you really need? And the, and the truth is, most of us this Christmas, you know what we're going to get? I mean, just be, I mean, let's just tell it like it is. We're going to get another sweater, right? We're going to get another pair of socks. We're going to get another shirt. We're going to get another piece of junk to put on a shelf somewhere. And, and, and it really is not going to be anything that we need. Well, somebody gave me a gift today. And... Um, I, I don't know what's in it exactly. I, 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 he told me it would be a useful gift, and so I'm going to kind of open this thing up and, and see, well, it is. It is going to be a useful gift. This, um, hmm, this is a stopwatch. Now, this is, I can use this gift. My football team could have really used this gift last night. Um <laughs> I got to get my mind back on this. This has been a. When the head coach texts you this morning and says, are you going to be able to preach today? You know it's going to be a bad day. Well, what if we did open a gift and, we, and it's a gift we really needed? And this is a gift. Seriously, this is a gift I can use. I use a stopwatch when I exercise. I, I do certain exercises and I kind of, I give myself a certain length of time to rest between each set of exercises I'm doing. When I, when I grill out, uh, I got a big green egg and when I, when I grill out, if you got one of those, you know what I'm talking about. Jim, Jim, my buddy knows this. You have to use a stopwatch. One of the things that, that, a, that a gift like this will do and particularly a gift like a stopwatch is it reminds you of the stuff that life is made of. Because life really is made about time. 
And when you think about it, and I, I'll be the first one to tell you that Christmas is my favorite time of the year. It really is. But like many of us, it's absolutely one of the busiest times of the year. As a matter of fact, if the truth be told, if there's ever a, ever a season where you kind of feel like you're short on time, if there's ever a time of the year where, where you really get frustrated and angry about having to wait in long lines, you almost feel like right up to the holiday that you're trying to enjoy, you still can't get it all done, it's Christmas. Now, Christmas, as, as you grow older, you'll learn this if you're a young person here today, Christmas is different to a child and to a teenager than it is to an adult. When I was a child, and you probably would, would agree with this, this will resonate with you, when I was a child, it seemed like time just slowed down to a glacier-like pace. It seemed like from the 1st of December to the 25th of December took six months to arrive. And I used to remember as a kid, will Christmas ever get here? Then you become an adult, and what happens? It goes like a blur. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're celebrating Thanksgiving, and it's almost like you go to bed and wake up, and you're unwrapping gifts. It, it just goes by so fast. And also as an adult, let's be honest, in a way, you can't wait for it to be over. The kid can't wait for it to come. You can't wait for it to pass. And, and I don't guess there's any other time of the year that I find myself wishing I had more time than Christmas. I, I wish I had more hours in a day. I wish I had more days in a week. I wish I had more weeks in a, in a month. I wish I had more months in a year. And frankly, as I get older, I'm approaching the stage of my life. I wish I had more years in my life. And, and I bet most of you are like me. You wish you had more time too. You know, living in this century, living in this country like we are, it's amazing how many people you run into these days and, and, and you listen to people almost on a daily basis tell you how busy they are. You ask people the simple question, how are you doing? And you'll hear things like this, man, I'm so busy. I'm, 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 I'm crazy busy. And here's what I've noticed. When people take the time to tell me how busy they are with their time, they're usually doing one of two things. They're either kind of bragging about the fact that they're busy or they're complaining about it, but they're not rejoicing in it. I've never had anybody come up to me and tell me, I am so glad that I'm too busy. I'm so happy that I'm too busy. Usually when we're so busy and too busy, we really kind of complain about it. But here's the thing that we learn. Time is the great equalizer. You see, this stopwatch, it doesn't care whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't care whether you're tall or short. It doesn't care whether you're fat or thin. It doesn't care whether you're educated or not. It doesn't care uh, whether you are, 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 are brilliant or a Florida Gator fan. It, it really doesn't care. This stopwatch tells us everybody gets the same 24-hour day as everybody else. You look to the person to your left, look to the person to your right, I'll tell you one thing's true about all three of you. You all have the same amount of time in a day. Nobody gets to choose how much time they have. The only thing you get to choose is how you use your time. When you got up this morning, you did not have a choice. You couldn't say, you know, I think today I'll take 25 hours. You don't get that choice. What you did when you got up this morning was God said to you, okay, you've got a choice in how you're going to spend your time. And one of the reasons why some of us are so frustrated with our lives is real simple. It's because we don't take a big quantity of the time that we have and we don't spend it on quality matters. Let, let me give an illustration. When I ask people, sometimes people, I'll say, do you exercise or do you work out? Well, no, I don't. And they'll say, you know, I know I really need to, but I'm too busy. Well, that's interesting. 
because the average time spent at the gym in this country or engaging in personal exercise for the average American, you ready for this, is 12 minutes a day. Yet that same average American spends 2.6 hours every day watching television. So what does that tell me? It's not that you're too busy to exercise. You're not. It's just that you don't take the time to do it. Or here's another one. People, people use their work. They'll say, you know, I've just got so much work to do, and I spend so much time at the office, and I've got so many things, so many irons in the fire. That's why I don't exercise. That's why I don't read my Bible. That, that's why I don't take time off. That's why I don't get enough rest. Well, if you think about it, that's a poor excuse. I don't know if you ever used to watch the sitcom Friends. Probably most of us used to watch it. Or or maybe you watch it now since the reruns are on. But you know what? I used to watch Friends. You know what the question I always ask myself? I always used to ask myself the question, how do they sit in this coffee house all the time and never get any work done? How do they pay their bills? And and I wonder, you know, how do they make a living? I mean, you know, how is it that every time you saw Ross and Rachel and Monica and Joy and Phoebe, uh, Phoebe, they weren't working? They're chilling out. They didn't even work enough to buy a stopwatch. So, so, well, then I said, wait a minute. Did a little study. It turns out that those friends were a lot like the average office worker in America because the average office worker in America only spends seven hours a day in the office. And of those seven hours, they only spend about four and a half of those hours doing any work. So it turns out that they did have a lot of time to spend in Central Perk. They, they really did have a lot of time to kill. Now, here's, what I, here's where I'm going with all this. I don't care how busy you are, and I really don't care how busy you think you are or you say you are. The truth of the matter is you are never too busy to be a blessing. You are never too busy to be a blessing. If you are or you think you are, you're really not, wait, you're really not investing your time. You're wasting your time. So when we, we were kind of brainstorming several months ago about, okay, what are we going to do about Christmas? How can we do something fresh at Christmas time? How can we kind of repackage, if you will, the Christmas message in a different way? Well, we, we, we decided we would do this series called Regifting. Because what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to share with you in a very practical way how you can maximize the Christmas season. How for maybe for the first time in a long time, instead of, let make it, instead of allowing Christmas to work against you this year, let's make Christmas work for you. So what we're going to do over the next three weeks, we're going to show you from the Christmas story how re-gifting is not only a good thing, it's also a God thing. Because there's one thing in this room none of us are too busy to do, and I'm going to prove it to you over the next three weeks. We're not too busy to re-gift. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me give you the good news. You really do have something worth re-gifting. You really do have something worth repackaging. You really do have something that you've gotten that somebody else has given you that's really worth putting in a box and giving to someone else. And we can take the gifts that God has given us at the first Christmas and we can re-gift them to others. As a matter of fact, let me tell you the better news. I'm going to show you over the next three weeks how you can take some things that God has given us at Christmas and you can re-gift them every day of the year. So today, I want us to learn how we can re-gift the first gift that God gave at Christmas. And you're going to learn as we turn in a moment to to our passage that the very first gift that God gave to us at Christmas was joy. And we can re-gift the joy that Jesus has given and we can give it to others. So this is what I want you to take out the door this morning. Ready? 
We experience the joy of Christmas when we take time to give Christmas joy. We experience the joy of Christmas when we take the time to give Christmas joy. Now, if you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to find the most familiar Christmas story in all the Bible. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke chapter 2. Luke was a doctor. And Luke wrote in great detail. That's what doctors do. And Luke gives us more detail about the Christmas story than, 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 than the other gospel writers. He tells us things that no other gospel writer tells us. And in this very first Christmas, Luke tells us in his recounting of this story, not only a gift that we have because of Christmas, but a gift that we can re-give because of Christmas. So I just want to say two simple things to us this morning. Two very simple thoughts. Number one, because of Christmas... We can always have joy. Because of Christmas, we can always have joy. Now, if there's a single word that describes what Christmas is all about, it's probably that little word, joy. You know, no less an authority than the late Andy Williams himself tells us it's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, it is. But let me ask you a question. Why do we call Christmas, of all the times we've got in the year, Thanksgiving, 4th of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, vacation time, all that. Why do we call Christmas the most wonderful time of the year? Well, it's easy. Because it really is the most joyful time of the year. Some of our favorite Christmas carols talk about joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Oh, come, all you faithful, joyful and triumphant. Joyful, all you nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. And I know there's some of you sitting out there and you're saying, you know, Pastor, I know that's what we sing about. I know what it's supposed to be about. But I'll just be honest with you. You know, the way my life's going right now, I just don't have a lot of joy. Well, let me just stop and let you think about that for a moment. Because part of our problem is we have the completely wrong idea about joy. See, we think that joy and happiness are synonyms. And therefore, we think that joy depends upon our circumstances. So when you run from one party to another party and you race through the shopping mall or you wait in line for a parking spot, don't you just hate having to go around and around and around and around? I mean, that'll drive you nuts, right? Just going around and around. Matter of fact, somebody told me the other day, they said, Pastor, I know how to solve that problem. Go to the mall and buy a parked car. Well, you know, it, it really is. It's frustrating when you, have to, when you do that. And, 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 you know, to be honest, if you really want to lose your joy, I'll tell you how to do it. Just spend time at the mall during Christmas. Now, unless you're a sadomasochist and you enjoy long lines and fights and amateur night at WWE, it's just not a fun thing to do. Yet, listen to what the angel says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, the angel said from the get-go, Christmas ought to be a time not just of joy. It ought to be a time of great joy. By the word, the Greek word for great is the word mega. That's the word great. He said, it ought to be a time of mega joy. Now, what is it about Christmas that ought to keep us filled with joy every day of the year? Well, he goes on to tell us in the next verse, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Christ. Now, you're not Jewish. Most of us, I guess all of us are not. Maybe one or two here, I don't know. But if you're not Jewish, it's kind of hard to appreciate just really the impact that verse ought to have on you. So let me just kind of kind of peel this apart, and let's take it layer by layer. The city of David that he's talking about, that's not Jerusalem. 
The city of David is Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a town about five miles south of Jerusalem. I've been there many, many times. And it is not the town today that it was many years ago. Today, if you've ever been there, get to go with me one day, it, you'll know it's an Arab town now that is under Palestinian control. But when Jesus was born, it was a very, very tiny Jewish community. It's called the city of David because that's where David grew up. Now, the question is, why is this place where Jesus was born so important? What's the big deal about the fact that the angel said on that night to those shepherds, today is born for you in the city of David, Christ? Well, the reason is because 700 years earlier, God, through the prophet Micah, had promised this is where Christ would be born. This is where the Messiah would be born. Look up on the screen, and we're going to read from Micah chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now listen to what Micah said about Bethlehem. He said, Bethlehem is too little to be, <coughs> to be among the clans of Judah. Had you lived back in Bethlehem or had you traveled through Bethlehem back 2,000 years ago or 2,500 years ago, you would have realized right up front it would have never made the top 10 vacation list in Travel and Leisure magazine. Okay, we're, we're talking Mayberry. We're talking Smallville. We're talking Deadwood. I mean, it was a nothing town. And of all the towns that the Son of God could have been born in, was he born in Jerusalem, a great capital city? No. Was he born in Rome? What, was he born in Alexandria? No, he's born in Bethlehem. But what does, the, what does that tell us, the fact that he was born in that little town? Well, it gives us one of the greatest reasons you'll ever hear why we ought to always have Christmas joy in our life. Every day, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to be filled with joy that is unspeakable and full of glory because Bethlehem tells us that God always keeps his promises. Every time I go to Bethlehem, every time, I don't go through the gates of that city. I don't think about the fact, you know what, God? Every time I come to this city, I'm just reminded all over again, you keep your promises. You made a promise that your son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would be born in this little nothing town, and you always keep your promises. And I'll tell you why that's such a big deal. Have you ever, now tell the truth, have you ever made a promise you didn't keep? Now, don't look at me like you're super holy and you're so, oh, no, I've always got, no, you know, you, no, you've never done that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you about a promise I didn't keep. And I'm going to re be reminded of it this month because there's a very generous friend of mine who doesn't even live in this state. And because he's been unbelievably generous, he's made it possible for me to take my entire family to Disney World. We're going to go to Disney World this month. I've never been in December. Matter of fact, I haven't been in Disney World in 17 years. It's going to be my first time uh, to go back. But let me tell you uh, something that is going to bring back kind of a bad memory for me, believe it or not. Because many, many years ago, way, way, way back, we took our boys there when they were very, very small. We only took James and Jonathan because Joshua was just a baby and we couldn't take him. So we took our boys there. They were very, very, very small. Jonathan was just a little fellow. I mean, he's just a little, little, little bitty tight. Well, when we walked into the park, evidently he knew about this ride called Space Mountain. I didn't know about it. He knew about it. And so we walked into the park, and I mean, we hadn't, we hadn't even gotten to Mickey yet. We hadn't even gotten to the castle yet. And he says, Daddy, 
Don't make me ride Space Mountain. Just don't make me ride Space Mountain. Well, I said, son, I promise you, we're not going to ride Space Mountain. Well, when I found out about Space Mountain, I really wanted to ride Space Mountain because it's a, it's, a it's a fun ride. So we had kind of done all the rides that day, and so we're, we're about to go out of the park, and we're coming by Space Mountain. Well, James wants to ride Space Mountain, and Teresa wants to ride Space Mountain, and I want to ride Space Mountain, and, 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 but, you know, Jonathan didn't want to ride it. Well, I didn't say anything. He couldn't, you know, was too, too young to read. So I just put my arm around him, and I said, son, we've got one last ride to do. And it's a surprise, and I've saved it for last. And you're going to ride with Daddy. He said, oh, boy. Well, we get in, and he realizes something's up when they're strapping us in the seat. He looks up at me. I'll never forget this. He looked up at me with those innocent blue eyes, and he said, Daddy, he said, we're not going to ride Space Mountain, are we? Never said a word. I never said anything. I just turned and just kind of stared straight ahead, never said a word. Well, about that time, we took off. Now, if you've ever ridden Space Mountain, some of you probably have, it's pitch black in there. You can't see anything, right? But every now and then, you go into this, this bright light, and you can kind of see the face of the person you're sitting next to as you go by. Well, every time we'd go under this light, Jonathan was like this, <laughs> kind of like a frozen coma. I mean, never, never changed expression. Every time we'd go under the light, we're doing this and doing that, doing, every time, like this, just frozen coma. I looked down one time. He was gripping that bar so tight, his knuckles were pink all the way across both hands. Well, we got through the ride. To my amazement, he never screamed. He never said one word. I thought, man, I have escaped this. I mean, I've gotten out of this with, you know, clean hands. We get out of that ride. We walk out of the gate. As soon as he got on the sidewalk, he turned and looked at me, and he gave out this blood-curdling Tarzan yell that would have scared elephants off. He started shaking. He started crying uncontrollably. I, I felt so badly. I felt, I, 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 I mean, let me tell you what, I, I blamed it all on Teresa. That's how bad I felt. <laughs> and, and by the way, I, I'm not even sure he's forgiven me to this day. You know what he told me when I told him I was going to put this in the message? He said, let me tell you something you don't even know. He said, I did not ride a roller coaster for 15 years after you did that to me and almost swore off completely. And, I mean, even to this day, I feel a, a little bad. Now, here's the point. We don't always keep our promises, right? Not even a pastor. But God does. God always keeps his promises. And when you think about that, just think about some of these promises God has made. Just, just, I'm just going to give you a few. God's made a promise. I'm going to work everything out that happens to you for your good. I'm going to lead you to do my will. I am giving you eternal life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, let me ask you a question. If God takes the time to make promises and God makes the time to keep promises, how can you not have joy in your life? And listen, if God has taken the time to make promises and to make sure that we have joy. If God's made, if God took time out of everything he's doing to run this universe to send Jesus so that we would have joy, surely we ought to take the time to give joy to somebody else. And the reason why we don't take the time to do that more often, it's not because we don't have the time. It's because we don't make the time and we don't take the time 
to do it. But let me show you something else. It's not just where this birth took place. It was who this birth was about that ought to give us joy. Because let's read this verse again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want you to really understand what really happened on that day 2,000 years ago. And that, I want you to understand who that little baby was that was really laid in that cradle. Because what you read, by the way, these are not his names. His name was not Lord. His name was not Christ. His name was not Savior. His name was Jesus. His titles were Savior, Lord, and Christ. Those three words <clears throat> never appear together again in any other New Testament verse. But I want to tell you something. Those three words, when you really understand what those words mean, they are filled with joy. I don't know if you like donuts or not, but I do. I do. I like donuts. I don't eat them very often because I can't, but I, I, I do love them. My favorite donut of all the donuts you can get, my favorite donut are vanilla cream-filled donuts. I love vanilla cream-filled donuts. Let me tell you what I like to do. I like to get a vanilla cream-filled donut, and I like to heat them up till the cream kind of explodes out of the top of that donut. You ever seen that happen? I, 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 love to, I love to heat those up, and then I just like to pick it up while it's hot and bite into it and just let that donut filling just explode into my mouth. Now, when you bite into those three words, Christ, Savior, and Lord, when you bite into those words, joy ought to explode into your heart. You say, well, why? Because do you know what those three words tell us? Those three words tell us that not only does God always keep our promises, those three words tell us that God always meets our needs. Because those three words, are you ready for this? You know what those three words tell me? My past is taken care of. My present is taken care of. My future is taken care of. You say, where do you get that? Well, my past has been forgiven because he said Jesus is the Savior. In the Old Testament, that word always refers to God who delivers his people from disease and defeat and death. And that word and that title was reserved to God and God alone. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah, we just quoted a while ago, the prophet Isaiah recorded God's word when he said uh, to him, when he said, I, I am the Lord and besides me there is no Savior. Yet according to Luke, this baby was that Savior. So when you add up two and two and you get four, when you add up those two verses, you realize that little baby was God. But not only does that word Savior tell us who he was, it tells us what we are. Because let me ask you a pop quiz question. Who needs a Savior? Who? Sinners. Sinners need a Savior. And, and, and Jesus Christ came to solve the greatest problem that we all have, and that problem is sin. Let me tell you something. You may be here this morning, and you may say, oh, no, 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 no. My greatest problem is I'm in a bad marriage. No, your bad marriage is a symptom. The problem is sin. You say, oh, no, 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 no. My, my greatest problem is I've got this uncontrollable temper. No, that's a symptom. Your problem is sin. No, 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 no. My, my, my greatest problem is I'm addicted to drugs. No, that's not your greatest problem. That's a symptom of your problem. Your problem is sin. You may think your greatest problem is rebellious children. They're not your greatest problem. They're a symptom. Your greatest problem is sin. And when God sent Jesus, he sent the one and only thing we need to solve that problem, and that is a Savior. Because that word tells me when I go to Jesus Christ and give him my life, and he forgives me of all my sin and saves me from all my sin, my past 
is forgiven. Well, then I learned something else. Not only is my past forgiven, but my future is guaranteed because Jesus is also Christ. Now, that word Christ is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word Messiah. It means anointed one. Now, who was anointed in the Old Testament? If you know your Old Testament, the, 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 the primary person anointed in the Old Testament was a king. And God promised the greatest king of all, King David. He said to, he said this to King David, he said, one day, one of your heirs is going to sit on an eternal throne and reign as an eternal king. Now, to this day, some Jews, not all, but some Jews are still looking for that king. They're still looking for that Messiah. The good news we have is what they're looking for, we found. His name is Jesus. He is the coming king. When, when, when those shepherds were told that day on that Christmas morning, when those shepherds were told, this baby is Christ, they, if they knew their Bible, would have known, oh, I get this. He is the king you've always promised. And he's not only coming the first time, the Bible says, he's coming the second time. Why? Well, when he came the first time, he came as the Savior to take our sins away from us. When he comes the second time, he's coming as Christ the King to take us away from all sin. And so this Messiah who keeps his promises and has never broken one has promised, I will return. I know that. I know just as surely as he was born the first time, he's going to come back the second time. Well, what does that tell me? I don't have to worry about what the future holds because I know who holds the future. And I know one day how it's all going to end. He's going to come back and we're going to live with him forever. So when I read these words, I say, okay, my past is forgiven. He's my savior. I look at the word Christ, okay, my future is guaranteed. He's the coming king. But then look at this. My present is under God's control. Because the Bible says, Luke said, he's not just the Messiah of the Jews. He's not just the savior of the world. He is the Lord of the universe. He really does have the whole world in his hands. He's the master. He's the boss. He is the Lord. Everything is under his control. I got a text right before we, this, this election we just had. I got a text from a friend of mine. I thought, man, that's one of the greatest things I've heard in a long time. Here's what his text said. It doesn't matter who gets in the White House, and it doesn't matter who controls the Congress. They're not in charge. So true. They're not in charge. And so if my past has been forgiven and my present is under control and if my future is guaranteed, let me ask you a question. How can I not be full of joy? I, I, yeah, I walked out of that dome last night. I was very, very unhappy. Very unhappy. Not in the mood to preach. Not in the mood to talk about Jesus. Not just wasn't in the mood. But I hadn't lost my joy. I really hadn't. Because my joy is not found in things. My joy is not found in circumstances. My joy is found in the God that sent Jesus and in the Jesus who came. So because of Christmas, we always have joy, right? Now, because of Christmas, we should always give joy. What we have, we ought to give. Now go back to verse 10 and listen to what was said again. He said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, if you have a Bible, I want you to underline two words in that verse. One is the word you and word, one is the word all. Jesus said, this joy is for you all. Or in the Greek language, it's y'all. He said, this is for y'all. Now, what does that mean? What Jesus was saying was, or what God was saying was, this joy is meant to be shared with everyone. 
1719, Isaac Watts wrote a hymn entitled Joy to the World, which we just sang a moment ago. Well, Watts got the title right because Christmas is joy to the world. Christmas is not joy just to America. It's not a national joy. It's not just joy to the Caucasian. It's not a racial joy. It's not just joy to the West. It's not a, a cultural joy. It's not just joy to the rich. It's not a financial joy. It's not just joy to the, edu- to the, to the educated. It's not an intellectual joy. It's not a, just a joy to the happy. It's not emotional joy. It's not just joy to the healthy. It's not physical joy. It is joy to the world. God said, I want this joy to be for all people. When that angel said, I bring you good news, you know what that word for good news is in the Greek language? It's the word for evangelism. A lot of people get scared of that word evangelism. They think, oh, no, I couldn't do evangelism. You know all evangelism is? Here's all it is. All evangelism is is you're re-gifting the joy that you've been given, and you're giving it to somebody else. That's all it is. I mean, let me ask you a question. Why do you think we're planting churches in Washington, D.C.? Why, why, why do you think we're going to take mission trips to Honduras and the Dominican Republic and South Asia and Nicaragua? Why, why do you think we do that? Why do you think we're having a Christmas project here in our church? And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. And we're going to have up to almost 1,300 people come here next Saturday to hear the gospel and to get Christmas. Why, why do you think we do that? Because we are not supposed to keep this joy to ourselves. Everybody needs to hear that in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord was born. So I'm going to ask you to get involved in re-gifting joy this Christmas. I'm going to ask you to get involved in re-gifting this Christmas joy. And in order to give joy, we've learned today, we've got to take time to give joyful pursuits. Now here's what I'd like to ask you to do. You'll notice if, if you look at the bottom of your message notes. There, there's a clock, and, and there's a reason that that clock is there. Let me tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take out a pen or a pencil right now. I want you to do something, just a little exercise. Take out a pen or a pencil, and what I want you to do is I want you to write down something. In, inside that clock, I want you to jot down the two or three things, now be honest, that you spend the most time on. What are the two or three things you spend the most time on? It may be work, it may be school, it may be housekeeping, it may be commuting, it may be sleep, it may be television, it may be the internet, it may be video games. I mean, I don't care what it is. I want you to write down, you say, what would would be the top three or four things that take up the most of my time? And just, just, just kind of write down in that. And it's not, there's no right or wrong answer. It doesn't make you good or bad. Just being honest. What are the three or four things that you put down? That is what takes up the most of my time. Then outside the clock, I want you to write down one or two things that you could do in the next week that would bring joy to somebody else. What's one or two things you could do? Maybe maybe you thought about doing it. For example, maybe you've been thinking about a phone call you've been you've been really needing to make to somebody who's been suffering from cancer that lives in another state and encourage them and pray for them but you just hadn't gotten around to do it you you might want to write that down or maybe you you know you've been thinking about for example uh, one of our one of our members is going up to new york city with a company that he works with you know what he's going to be doing he's going to be he takes a day up there he rings the bell for the salvation army in front of macy's department store 
because it's just the way that their company serves people. Well, maybe you could do, you know, something like that. Or, or, or maybe, maybe there's someone in your neighborhood that's sick, and, and you've been meaning to take some me- a meal over there. Maybe, there's, maybe you could do that. Or, or maybe, maybe you say, you know what, I, I've, got a, I, I've got a friend that's in a, in a, in a nursing home or in, or in hospice care, and I really do need to take the time and go and just spend time with them and let them know that I care for them. But, but whatever it may be, write down one or two things that you know you could do this week that if you did not write it down, you would have never done it, and you, you could say, you know, this week I could do it. And here's the challenge I want to give you. I want you to take something outside the clock. I want you to swap it with something inside the clock. So, for example, you say, okay, I'm going to take the two hours I spend every night watching TV, and I'm not going to watch TV. I'm going to spend that two hours giving joy to somebody else. I'm going to spend that two hours writing notes to people of encouragement. I'm going to spend two hours on the phone calling people I haven't talked to in a long time to let them know that I love them and I care for them. I'm going to take take an hour that I normally give to doing this or doing that, and I'm going to take that hour, and I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to bring joy into someone else's life. Now, I want to kind of wrap all this up and make this very personal. The angel said this, and I don't want you to miss these words. He said, unto you, and he was talking to those shepherds, both corporately and individually, unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is what gets me pumped about Christmas. Yes, it's true that Jesus came for the whole world. I get that. But he didn't just come for the whole world. He came for you. And 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 he came for you. He came for every one of us individually. And so, as we wrap this up, here's what I want you to think about. Joy is a barometer of how close you are to God. Joy is a barometer of your relationship and how close you are to God. See, you may be here today and you may say, but you don't know my circumstances, Pastor. I'm financially broke. I have no money. I'm emotionally unhappy. I'm not in a good marriage. I'm physically hurting. I've got some health issues. I want to be sympathetic to all that, and I get that, and I can understand how that would affect your happiness. Okay, I get that. But I want you to hear this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you are not, full of joy right now. It is not because you have a marital problem. It's not because you have a financial problem. It's not because you have an emotional problem. It's not because you have a physical problem. You have a God problem. Because when you have Jesus in your life, you've got God on your side, and you really focus on Jesus, and you understand why he came, and you understand who he was, you will not only be full of joy, You will be a joy giver every day of the year. Let's pray together. With his bowed and with eyes closed. You know, one of the reasons why I share the gospel in every message, one of the reasons why I make time and take time to tell everybody, every service we preach, hey, Jesus died for you. Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus paid for your sins. The reason why I share that message, that simple little message, Because I'm trying to give you joy. 
I'm trying to give you the joy of knowing that your past is forgiven. I'm trying to give you the joy of knowing that your present's under control. I'm trying to give you the joy of knowing that your future is guaranteed. And if today you've never, ever, ever received Jesus Christ, if I were you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have joy. There's no reason for you. Why would you have joy? When you don't even have a relationship with the God that sent you, how could you have joy? Well, the world can make you happy. It cannot give you joy. Only God can do that. And if today you would like to receive that Christmas joy, would you just pray this simple little prayer right now? Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that magnificent story. I believe it really happened. I believe that you came from heaven as God's son. I believe you were born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that you lived a perfect life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And today I'm asking you to come into my life and give me the joy that only you can give, the joy of knowing that my sins have been forgiven,